Hey everyone, this is Dr. Marissa Aaron, physical therapist and founder of Mom and Me PT. If you're feeling overwhelmed during pregnancy or as a new mom, and you're tired of scrolling through countless blog articles and Facebook threads with contradicting answers, this podcast is for you. I'll be interviewing top professionals to help women maximize their baby's development, their pregnancy, and their postpartum recovery. All the answers in one place from sources you can trust. Get answers to all of your questions regarding your baby's developmental milestones, sleep training, breastfeeding, nutrition, speech development, and more. For you ladies, we'll be talking about pregnancy, labor and delivery, safely returning to exercise, common areas of pain, urinary leakage, sex, diastasis recti, and you guessed it, more. I hope you enjoy. So I'm here with Samantha Goldman. She is an occupational therapist who's going to talk to us a little bit about the NICU. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Will you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and kind of um, what your experiences have been in the NICU? Yeah, so my name is Samantha Goldman. I'm an occupational therapist and the owner of OT for Me. And I help kids and teens create healthy lifestyles that are fun so that they can live life to their fullest. And my other passion is, of course, the NICU. And so my course has been a little interesting because my husband transferred a lot with his job. So we've moved a bunch and I've been able to have the opportunity to, I think, be in four different NICUs as an occupational therapist. And so I started as a student for a six-week rotation at All Children's in Tampa. And that was just a six-week one where I was following another occupational therapist and learned so much. My eyes were totally open to a new world. And you and I have talked about this before, but it's kind of once you get into the NICU, it's a lot easier to continue on that way. Yes. So from there, I started my job as an occupational therapist at an outpatient center and then moved to Pittsburgh and became a occupational therapist at the NICU in Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh Children's Hospital or Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. And then moved from there to Atlanta worked at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, and then finally moved back down to Florida, where I am still employed per diem at a NICU down here. So cool. I think that's a really um, unique experience to be able to see all of those different places, because you kind of get to pull the best of each, of each place, right? You get to see really what works and what doesn't, and um, I think that that makes me so excited to hear your, your opinion and your views on things because you've seen kind of how it all works. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly how it's happened. I've kind of like taken things from each place, figured out what I like from each place, and everything is so, each one of them is really so different. Yeah. And it's quite amazing to see how different they all are. Will you tell us just a little bit about kind of what OT does in the NICU and maybe even a little about what PT and speech therapy do in the NICU, just so kind of moms understand. Yeah, so it's definitely different depending on which hospital you're at. Like I said, they're all so different and also depending on the state, different states do different things. But overall, I would say occupational therapy's role in the NICU is to help babies develop to their best potential. 
And so kind of with their own little timeline and depending on each kid. So I like to kind of personally throw, you know, typical development out the window with almost all my kids and instead look at where are they developmentally and how do we get them to the next step. So some of the things that OT can do work on feeding and teaching infants how to feed from a bottle, which is what I kind of specialized in when I was in Pittsburgh. And then you could also do the more developmental hands-on side with learning those actual developmental milestones and movements. Additionally, we work a lot on positioning and teaching the nurses and the parents how to interact with the baby in order to protect development. And so we say kind of neurodevelopment. So making sure that the brain pathways still form according to schedule. Got it. And so a little bit of those things sound like they, in, they overlap with speech therapy and with physical therapy, right? So everyone, mm -hmm. everyone is pretty much just working as a team on all of that as a whole in some degree as well, right? Yes. So the best is if you have that team approach. It really, again, kind of depends on where you are. So there are some hospitals that only employ one of the three. Mm. And that person will specialize in all of the above. In all the hospitals that I've been in, all three have been in there. And so it hasn't been just one person, but I know like in some of the local hospitals, they do that. In your bigger hospitals, so I'm not sure how much you're familiar with the levels of the NICU, but there's like level one, level two, level three, and then level four. So a level four is the most intensive. You're going to have all three disciplines, all three very specialized in what they do. And then as the levels go down a little bit and it's not as critical care, some of the, the roles will mesh a bit more. I would say where it overlaps with speech therapy is on that feeding portion. And so where I've been, we've kind of divided it by safety with feeding and then oral motor skills. And so the OTs will look more at those arousal levels, our positioning, and making sure that it's appropriate so that they can focus on the oral motor skills. Whereas speech really kind of assesses that when they swallow, did the milk go and did the formula and breast milk go where you were hoping it was going to go? Gotcha. <laughs> um, and then huge overlap, of course, with physical therapy, as you know, because we look at those movement patterns and motor skills and making sure that they are proceeding along developmental milestones. Gotcha. Very cool. So let's say, you know, um, a baby ends up in the NICU and it maybe wasn't something that those parents expected was going to happen um, throughout the pregnancy, it wasn't necessarily something that they had time to prepare for or to research. Kind of, can we give them a little bit of a, maybe some expectations or things that they might find themselves struggling with, they might find themselves encountering, um, just so that they can even just be aware that those things exist, that they can maybe try to pre prepare now just in case they find themselves in that situation, kind of what, what are some of those big things that they will deal with? Yeah, I think that first time that parents walk in is probably the absolute most difficult because you're not even really sure what to expect. And when they come in, you kind of see the look on the face, like it's a little overwhelming. And so I think 
being prepared and kind of knowing what you're going in for and going into helps a lot. So some of the things you can kind of expect going in is that your baby might be in a different bed. So a special bed that replicates almost the feeling in the belly. And so keeping them nice and cuddly and warm. And it's called an isolate and it looks really big, but it actually is helping protect them. You can expect the lights to be low, it to be very quiet. You might see that a baby has an IV, which is helping them feed. If your baby was born prematurely, sometimes they're not quite ready to eat yet. And so they'll give them a couple IVs or other, you know, helping them get their medicines through, those kind of things. Some babies might also have breathing equipment and a breathing tube to help them and their little lungs get stronger. And so I think just knowing that that's what you're going to encounter helps some parents. And my biggest advice with that would be would like turn to your nurse, turn to the doctors, turn to the therapist and look for their help. A lot of parents will walk in and then within five seconds they're gone because it is, you know, quite overwhelming, but to look for the help because we are trained in that and we do want to help and we want you to be there with your baby. And so it's a definitely an overwhelming experience the first time. So that I would say is the biggest difficulty parents kind of experience. And then from there, I would say would be that interacting with the baby can be very nerve wracking the first couple of times for parents and learning how to pick them up and turn them and all of that. And again, I would say turn to your nurses, turn to the therapist because they are there to help you and to help you learn. And then the last big difficulty, I would say from a therapist standpoint, of course, there's, you know, medical things that, that could be quite challenging, but from a therapist standpoint is that feeding and getting over that feeding barrier, which is usually holding them from being discharged home. And so parents can get quite frustrated when the baby, they want their baby to eat and their baby's not really ready yet to finish eating. (laughs) Right. And so knowing that the patience with the feeding is critical and letting them take their time to figure out the skills and learn it appropriately. Sometimes those extra days of just learning how to eat helps long-term so they don't have to come back to the hospital. Definitely. So I can imagine some parents are either really anxious to get home and so they, they struggle to really maybe take that time and that advantage of, of having all the therapists and nurses there to really make sure that all of that is comfortable and that they really understand kind of what that's going to look like at home, right? So I can imagine that, that that's hard to be patient in that sense, I guess. Um, and also, I guess I can imagine that it's hard to you know, kind of push out the window those ideas of what you thought feeding was going to be like, what you hope, you know, kind of all of those expectations you had, I think can be sometimes really difficult to let go, do you find? And so sometimes it can be hard to accept maybe what the, what the medical team and therapists are recommending um, because it might look different from what you imagine does that sound like kind of some of the things that you encounter yeah i think that's that happens a lot of times where it's really difficult because parents have this vision of what they thought their birth was going to look like and after birth and going home and 
breastfeeding and bottle feeding and what their perceptions were going to be and what when we get there and when the baby comes into the world what the baby decides that they that they're going to do sometimes <laughs> cannot always align you know as much as we thought it was going to right definitely and so making it through those steps and you know being being flexible with the changes can be challenging but knowing that you know the nurses and the doctors and the therapists kind of have your best interest and your baby's best interest at heart definitely definitely um we might have kind of already touched on this just in terms of really asking those questions with your team and things like that um but are there any other um coping strategies or suggestions that you recommend in terms of dealing with kind of all of that stress and overwhelm and, and the new things? Yeah, absolutely. Aside from, you know, talking to the team and reaching to them, there are programs at each hospital that support the parents. And I found personally that the parents that go to them feel more supported and feel like they are more empowered to be a part of the treatment team and of their baby's, you know, stay. And so I think in, it's called teacup preemie at some of the hospitals. And then at other hospitals, they have, you know, parent support groups and caregiver groups and groups that teach you what to do. And so I think before, you know, you go into the NICU, you have all this education on what to expect when you're pregnant and what to expect for birth. But nobody really talks about, one, what happens if your child is in the NICU and to what to expect just those first couple weeks after birth in general. Yeah. And so I think going to those groups and getting somebody who knows that and can walk you through that helps. And as well as being able to interact with other parents who are going through something similar, that social connection we've seen is really beneficial to parents. Definitely. That's really cool that they have those programs. I actually um, didn't know a lot about that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's funny. Most people don't even realize that it's, it's kind of there. I think it took me a couple of years to know because unless you have a parent who goes, you don't know. So like somebody, if you're not sure and you're a parent who's there, like asking the social worker, asking the nurse, those are the people who really kind of know those programs the yeah. best. Those social workers, they're the best. They have so many resources. Yes. And the, the ones that they pull out, you're kind of like, wow, I didn't even know, didn't even know that exists. Some hospitals will also offer like gas cards and meal cards to like help out that, again, unless you know to ask for it, you wouldn't, you probably wouldn't get it because you wouldn't know. Oh, such good tips. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, so asking perfect. for that. Yes. All right. So what else, um, besides from the tubes and lines and things like that, um, like you mentioned, the breathing tube, the IVs. What are some other things about babies in the NICU that may be different from babies who either were full term or who didn't require a NICU stay? Um, what would you say about that? Yeah, I'm going to talk about this one from a developmental standpoint because okay. there's a whole array of stuff you can go into from like a medical standpoint, but I'm, I'm going to talk about that stuff. So would you rather me talk about in the NICU or kind of like after? Let's do both. Let's start in the NICU. Yeah. So in the NICU, depending on why your baby's there. So if your baby's premature, the biggest thing to think about is that they weren't supposed to be out of the belly quite yet. 
So we're not looking at them as if they're one, two days old. We're looking at them as if they are still in the belly. So if your baby was born at 32 weeks, we're looking at them as they are still 32 weeks in the belly. And so they haven't developed yet to that zero day old. And so talking about that when they're in the NICU and knowing where they should be and what you can do to help them continue to develop that way is really important. So when you're thinking about a full-term baby, they're gonna come out with a good amount of muscle tone, holding their extremities at midline when they are upset and crying and being able to kind of use some movement against gravity. Whereas those premature babies, they're gonna need a lot more help with being able to hold up their arms at all against gravity. And you know, we do know that newborn babies still are developing that muscle, but there is quite a significant difference between a premature and a term baby. Right. What else like in terms of um, their sensory system and kind of just in terms of tolerating being touched, the lights, like you mentioned before, being on or sounds or different things like that. Cause I know that a lot of times babies in the NICU, you may notice their heart rate goes up or, you know, things with their oxygen saturations will change just from those little things kind of what, what's happening there with their sensory systems. Yeah. So when they are a certain age, each week, as we know, different things, happen during development. And so a lot of babies are not, their lungs might not be fully developed yet. And so when they come out, they're not really ready yet to breathe on their own. And that's where you see those oxygen saturations kind of all over the place. But there are other things in the environment that can affect that. So where they should be is in the, the mommy's belly typically right now. And there's a thick layer, you know, kind of providing a barrier between them and the world. And then when they're born early, all of a sudden they are in this world encountering all this different sensory information that they're not used to. And this is even true for term babies. All of a sudden they're out of the mommy's belly into the world with gravity. And it, you know, it's quite a big change for them. But kids who are in the NICU, sometimes have a harder time regulating this information. And a lot of the time that's also because a parent can't pick them up the same way and calm them that they would at home. And so a big role of OT and PT in the NICU is actually teaching parents how to interact with the baby and give them the calming skills that they can do at that specific age. And so I would say that's the biggest difference between the preterm and the term is just the information that you would offer them at the time of their development. Got you, got you. What about, I know some NICUs, or if not all of them, um, tend to incorporate like a schedule for babies um, to maybe try and help some of that bombardment of sensory input, right? So this is a time when baby, we're gonna let baby sleep. This is the time when we're gonna let baby eat, when we're gonna let baby be touched kind of, is that what you found that they, they have those schedules? And is that, um, is that something that parents maybe struggle with to, to follow, you know, go along with those schedules? Yes. So 
touch times, care times are a huge thing in NICUs. Typically, I would say it's every three to four hours. And so what a touch time and a care time means is that a baby still needs a lot of sleep. And you know, we know that same with babies who are in the NICU and same with babies that are home, they sleep for long periods of time. And before that zero day birth, their eyes are still developing in their, in their mommy's belly. And it's even the same after birth. So we know that babies, when they're first born, they are not tracking yet. They can only see a couple, couple inches in front of them. And so that sleep time is actually when the rods and cones in their eyes are developing. And so sleep is absolutely critical, especially for NICU babies, because they still have that time that they need to develop those eye, those like eye patterns and movements and just everything in there. Um, so what we do is we try to give them uninterrupted sleep so that they can get into their cycles of REM sleep. And it's really, it's kind of interesting if you look at their numbers on the screens, sometimes you can tell where exactly in their sleep cycle they are and when is the best time to wake them up without kind of scaring them. Um, and so again, that's something I would work with your therapist and your nurse on, but trying not to touch them in between those times is critical to helping them develop and helping them grow. And even just, you know, like when we are sick and growing and getting better and, you know, learning things, we need our sleep and so do they. And so I think that's so important for, for parents to know um, and to also advocate for, because I think there was like one number in some article that babies in the NICU were woken up like 170 times a day. And this was probably way back when this, you know, before this stuff was instilled, but there are still times that people need to come do tests and people need to, you know, come in and talk to the parents. And there's been research kind of showing that even in those things, the baby's brain waves changed and that they were woken up a little bit. And so trying to keep that uninterrupted sleep to help them develop is critical and knowing that it's okay for you to advocate for that as long as the baby is medically stable. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so huge because I can just imagine, you know, when your baby is in the NICU, unfortunately for a lot of parents, especially if your baby's in the NICU for an extended period of time, life goes on, right? And so parents themselves have their own schedule, whether that's with other kids or other, you know, if they have to go back to work or other things that they're dealing with, that they you know, this is the only time I have to be with my baby. And if that's conflicting with the touch times, I can just imagine like, why can't I just hold my baby? This is when, this is the time I have to hold my baby. So really just, you know, understanding where the medical team and the NICU side is coming from to be able to maybe have a conversation and say, hey, you know, can we meet in the middle? Can we discuss where we're both coming from and so that we can make it work for both of us, something like that, right? Yeah, and something really interesting too is that you can hold your baby during their sleep time if they are medically stable. So if the nurse and the, the medical team is okay with it, sometimes they'll set you up to do you know, skin to skin or kangaroo care, which is good for you, it's good for the baby. If um, anybody doesn't know what that is, it's when they dress the baby down to their diaper 
And usually the mom or the dad will have their chest bare and the NICU team will cover you and make sure that you are, you know, fully covered, but they'll put the baby right on your chest. And research has kind of shown that it's helped with growing. It's helped with their temp temperature, temperature regulation and some of those sleep cycles. It actually helps them go into a deeper, more stable sleep cycle. And so again, you don't want to wake them up mid sleep, but if you get there and you get there in time right after the nurse kind of does the diaper, does the temperature, they can position them on the chest with you. So you can get some really good cuddles while you're there, even if they're sleeping. Oh, that's so good to know. I feel like a lot of parents might not even know to ask, like if that's an option. So that's so, so good to bring up. And the same with kind of what you were talking about with advocating. I think a lot of parents just you know, okay, whatever they tell me to do, I'm going to do, which is amazing because we know that you just want what's best for your baby. But if somebody comes to, you know, do a little, a little test, a little procedure, something to know that you can ask, hey, is it possible for you to come back in, you know, an hour or two? And if the answer is no, and they have a really good reason as to why they're doing this right now, fine. But just to know that you have the right to, to ask those questions so that you understand and so that you can do your best to advocate for your baby. I love that. Yeah. And it's, it's actually quite amazing when parents ask, they, they feel empowered and they feel, they feel like a parent. And I think that's such a big part of the NICU process and something, you know, we were talking about coping skills before something that's so important is that you need to feel like a parent and you need to know that you still are just because your baby's in the NICU doesn't change the fact that they need you and they know you're there and you can still do a ton of stuff to help them. Oh, yeah, that's huge. All right, so let's talk a little bit then about after they get home from the NICU, because you mentioned that there were maybe some other things that may be um, different, is that the right word? Or some things that parents may notice um, with kids who were in the NICU versus kids who maybe didn't require a NICU stay. Yeah, I would say there's definitely some things to look out for when coming home from the NICU. So again, it depends on the NICU you're in and it depends on the hospital and the team, but sometimes babies will develop a side preference depending if we change their diaper from the same time every time, depending if all their lines were you know, on one side and their IVs were on one side of the bed. And so you know, I saw that you wrote about this in one of your articles is looking for symmetry. And so really checking to make sure that the baby has developed symmetry on both sides of the body and something even that you can advocate for in the NICU, but we could talk about that after, but um, looking to see when they get home, are they turning to both sides? Are they, if they've gotten to the point where they're rolling, are they rolling to both sides and making sure that the muscle tone and the movements all look symmetrical. Um, Aside from that, I would also really look at sensory. So this is kind of, you know, a little trigger point warning and a more of a sensitive topic, but babies in the NICU do go through different procedures and, you know, they get their little feet checked for blood sugar. And so they are exposed to some stimulus that other babies are not. And it's not always the most pleasant stimulus. And so you know, I'll see a lot of the time down the road, these babies sometimes don't want to walk on their flat feet and walk, you know, in the grass. 
So looking out for those sensory things, but parents can do things to help with that. And especially if you do that right when they get out of the NICU and you really start offering, I call it like mommy and daddy love as you know, much as you can, as long as the baby tolerates it, but offering that positive stimulus and positive interactions, those babies can also um, have more of a startle response because of the sound. Because again, if they were out of the, you know, the womb before they were planning to be, their auditory you know, processing systems may not have been fully, fully regulated yet. And so they startle to other noises. They were getting noises they wouldn't be getting at home. And so kind of taking notice of what your child looks like and responds and acts to, and then helping them along the way and making sure that they, they feel calm and competent and, you know, and happy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Kind of, uh, I can imagine that when a lot of your experience as a baby is maybe not so wonderful if that's being, you know, pricked or maybe some not so pleasant touches or feelings or things like that, that are medically necessary at the time, of course, um, that it's, it's just like us when we go through really difficult times, kind of just feeling safe, feeling loved, having, you know, good touches like hugs and gentle rubbing and massaging and things like that. All of that can help to regulate nervous system and sensory system and all that stuff to, to help with those responses. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, I would say calming down the nervous system is a huge thing that we work on both in and after, after that NICU stay. And then additionally too, um, going back to that muscle tone and the development of muscle tone in the NICU and post NICU, if your baby had a prolonged NICU stay, they spent, they may have spent, you know, a lot of time on their back. And so going home and making sure that you get them a good amount of tummy time to promote that muscle strength, neck strength development. If you're in a NICU with an OT and a PT and a speech therapist, they have likely had some tummy time, but practicing it on your own and doing it with your baby because they're going to need it to learn to crawl and keep their head up. <laughs> and so going home and looking at that, I think is really important too. We kind of talked about advocating for your baby in terms of getting their sleep and things like that while they're in the NICU. Are there things that parents can do to advocate for their baby in terms of some of that um, developmental development, <laughs> um, you know, preventing maybe that flat head as much as possible, you know, which can be really tough in the NICU or um, sometimes trying to prevent a turn preference as much as possible. Are there things that parents can do to advocate and to help with that? Yeah, there is, there's so much that parents can do to advocate for this. And what I do kind of want to stress first, though, is that medical stability is always going to come first in a NICU. And so as much as your therapists are there and advocating, when it comes down to it, the nurse and the doctor are going to first make sure that the baby is stable. And then from there, we will work on the therapy stuff. But on the other side, some of the things that the therapists do can also make the baby more medically stable. And so 
it's a very, it's almost like a, a dance, you know, where you're trying to balance the two. Yeah. And kind of like I said before, the parents are so important and the baby knows whether I truly believe, honestly, that the baby knows whether or not a parent is there. And that is, you know, the baby was in the mom's stomach for a long time. They know their touch, they know their smell, they know their voice. And so we see when a parent is at the bedside, from a developmental standpoint, they tend to do a lot better. And especially being able to advocate at these young ages and right after birth and right after they get out of the NICU, you can help them develop so well. Because going back and changing the patterns that they've acquired are so much harder. I'm sure you know that. <laughs> you know, I'm sure you do this one all the time. But going back and changing these patterns that they have is so much harder than promoting good patterns from the beginning. Totally. And so the big things that I would say is knowing where your baby is in their developmental age. And so you can honestly go back to your, your what to expect books and see my baby's 32 weeks right now. What do they look like? My baby's 33 weeks. What should they be doing? And kind of knowing like, their eyes are not developed yet. They should not be seeing light. And so being able to, when you walk in the room, turn down the lights, you know, don't have your flashlight on, on your phone. And if the nurse is doing care and they turn on the light because they're going to need to see, maybe you can take your hand and shade the baby's eyes and things like that. Um, same thing with the sound. So knowing that your baby is still developing, advocating, and also kind of doing a self-check. How loud am I talking? And, you know, take a look over at your baby because they're going to show you if they're not enjoying this. And so if you're talking really loud, you may see their arms flailing, you may see them crying, um, and kind of knowing, knowing when you need to check yourself and, and turn down a couple, couple notches on our volume, learning and having your therapist and your um, NICU team teach you how to read your baby's cues is going to be critical in the NICU and it's going to help you feel more connected to your baby. So as opposed to a baby that comes out, you know, full term, a NICU baby is just going to give us very subtle cues of how they're feeling. And we have to pick that up first before we get the cues on the screen of the numbers, you know, with the oxygen and the heart rate. Um, so, looking at them and seeing, are they looking at me or are they looking away? Is it, is this too much right now? If they are calm and do they have their hands at midline and their hands at their face and their eyes open, are they looking, you know, kind of calm and happy or are their arms out in space and they're kicking their legs and kind of shutting down on us and maybe we're doing a little too much right now. Yeah. And so Again, this is something I think that should always kind of go through first with your nurse and your therapist because they specialize in looking at that and knowing what the cues are and reading those cues. Mm -hmm. The other thing too that's huge in the NICU is positioning and making sure that the baby has positioning that replicates what it looks like in the belly and that helps develop the muscle tone. And so therapists can teach parents how to do this and you guys can do it without us there a lot of the time, um, as long as you feel confident and you've been trained in it. And so when a baby is born, they need those boundaries to push against, to replicate what they would have been pushing against and developing muscle tone 
in the belly. And so a lot of the times it's really sweet because parents will see their baby kicking in the air and they're like, oh, they're so strong. And, you know, they're, we use the word feisty a lot. But actually what they're looking for is something to calm themselves down. And so walking through that and learning that is huge. Um, parents can also leave like little blankets with their scent on it, which helps calm the baby. Those kind of things. Um, trying to think if there's anything else. I would say that's, that's like a, decent amount doing infant massage. So learning infant massage from your therapist and some NICU nurses are trained in that. That's going to come when the baby is more stable, but can be really helpful in the NICU. All of that stuff is huge because it's exactly what you said. Like parents being able to feel like they can take care of their baby in some way. Right. And so knowing, you know, what your baby's asking for, what your baby's telling you and how to, respond to that that's kind of what it's about right that's taking care of them and so i just i feel like so many parents maybe don't get to experience that to the fullest when their baby's in the NICU they feel helpless to take care of their baby but really there are a lot of little things that they can do to to be involved and to feel like they are caring for their baby yeah yeah i definitely think so and something too that's like quite interesting is that at least in the last hospital that I worked at we and the nurses could only wear gloves and so anytime the baby had any kind of touch it was through a glove mm. and so the only human touch and interaction they would get is from their parents and they know they know the difference if I'm doing something and then a parent does something there is always a difference the yeah. baby just feels that yeah oh that's really cool yeah yeah, they definitely have that connection. And there's just some things that only, only a parent can do. <laughs> oh, that's such good stuff. Well, is there anything we're forgetting? Um, anything that you feel like you really want parents to know if their baby's in the NICU or, or you want to encourage parents if their baby's in the NICU? Anything that we haven't touched on? No, I think that's, I think that's mostly it. Um, I would just say know that you are important and that you are a huge part of the medical team and that your nurses and doctors and therapists, even though they may not always have the same outlook as each other or as you, everybody is trying to do the best thing for your baby. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for doing this. This was so good. I really love talking with you. Is there any way, um, if listeners have a question for you or they want to follow you, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah. So on Instagram, actually, I think it's on all social. It's at the T-H-E-O-T, the number four and E. And then anybody can always reach out um, by email or on my website, www.theotforme.com. Got it. I'll definitely put those in the show notes as well for anyone who wants to see. And I think that's it. Thank you again for being here. We'll have to yeah, thank you so much. soon. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening in to another episode of Mom and Me Podcast. Make sure to check out the show notes for more information on our guest and any links that were mentioned. Also, find me on Facebook or Instagram 
at momandmept and please reach out with any questions.